Welcome back to another Faith and the Outdoors podcast. This is Sean McVeigh with Sean's Outdoor Adventures. And this is going to be another question and answer session. In a special way, I want to focus on the idea of the good thief. I have tons and tons of questions, and I apologize to those of you who I will not get to today. However, even though I've been asking people to email me their questions, people keep commenting on the videos and podcasts, especially regarding the good thief. So um, I've had people bring up the good thief again and again, and also say that we don't need to be baptized. So I'm going to address that specifically in this podcast. The focus of this podcast will be on what happened to the good thief after the good thief died. And in this podcast, I'm going to show you that he went to purgatory, not to heaven, upon death on the cross. Now, if that does not sit right with you, if you are disturbed by the way that sounds, I want you to acknowledge how you feel right now. And it is that feeling that has actually been preventing you from being open to hearing the truth. So if I can prove to you using scripture that the good thief did not go to heaven upon dying on the cross, would you be willing or more willing to listen to the teachings of the Catholic Church? Yes or no? If your answer is no to that question, and I can prove to you explicitly using the sacred scriptures that we all have and read, then why would you answer no to the question? You need to come to terms with that because my mission is to bring you to Jesus, who is the fullness of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if something has happened that is preventing you from embracing that truth that he has revealed, then that something needs to be addressed. And in fact, the devil is using that to prevent you from coming to grab hold of Jesus and the fullness of truth. So please be open to me as you listen to this podcast, as I attempt to dispel the lies that people have embraced who have followed this whole idea of the, the good thief that he went to heaven the day he died, because that is incorrect. So first, I'm going to address that topic, the good thief, and then I'm going to address real briefly again, the topic of baptism. And I may even bring in the idea of authority because every scriptural discrepancy we have comes back to a question of authority. Who has the authority to interpret the scripture in a specific way? And it is the Catholic Church. So let's begin in prayer. And we call upon, we make this prayer to our Father in heaven in the name of his son, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we turn to you. We want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want to spread the truth of Jesus. And I ask you through the power of the Holy Spirit to help me dispel the lies that the evil one has twisted up people with good intentions. People who earnestly want to follow you have been distracted from the fullness of truth because of the false teachings that have been promulgated even by people with good intentions. Lord, Help me cut through that with the sword of truth, the, the word of Jesus here today. Let it be definitive. Help me lead people to you definitively through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus to you, Father, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, 
let me start off by reading the passage that discusses the, quote, good thief on the cross. So that can be found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Now, for everything I'm doing today, I'm using the New Oxford Annotated Bible, New Revised Standard Version. This is not a Catholic Bible. And so I often like to use this because it contains uh, an ecumenical commentary based on solid research and understanding of the original texts. So this, I think, is a fair translation to use when I'm trying to appeal to my Protestant or non-Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ who do believe in Jesus but refuse to embrace the fullness of truth in the Catholic Church. So let's look at chapter 23. Jesus and the two thieves are hanging on the cross. Let me just read the whole section to you here. I'm going to start at verse 39. One of the criminals who, who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now let me pause there. I have had... People, and in fact, the comment I am addressing here just yesterday, I've had to address this so many times. That's why I'm making a specific podcast or a video on it. And from now on, I'm going to just paste the link to this as a reply to people who bring this up because they have been misled. If you think that this good thief meant he went to heaven that day, or Jesus meant that they were going to go to heaven that day, you don't know all of the scriptures and what they reveal. So, before I even talk more about that, let me read the footnote in this Protestant Bible, okay? And let me find it down here for, okay, so the footnote here for verse 43 reads this, and it has the word paradise listed first. It said, paradise, originally a term for the Garden of Eden, a reference to Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. 8 through 10, was a contemporary term for the lodging place of the religious dead prior to the resurrection, CF chapter 16, verse 22. So let me explain what that commentary states from this Protestant Bible. The term paradise is an association to the Garden of Eden, and it referred to the resting place, essentially, of the souls of the just who were not condemned to hell, but could not go to heaven because Jesus Christ did not open the gates of heaven until after the resurrection. In the book of Romans, I believe it's chapter 4, verse maybe 25, it says that Jesus was raised for our justification. In fact, let me just turn to that, and I'll just read that line real quick. Now, I'm going to start reading at verse 23, just because that's back near the beginning of the sentence. But the punchline, I think, is in verse 25. Now, the words, it was reckoned to him, 
were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our transgressions and was raised for our justification. So Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, but our justification took place upon the resurrection. So he died for our sins, was raised for our justification. In other words, heaven was not possible for us to go to until after the resurrection. So Jesus did not go to heaven when he died. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, I'm going to read the whole section to you. Again, the punchline is in there. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 21, we're going to read. And this is discussing where Jesus' soul went after he died on the cross. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. So what Peter's talking about here is that before Jesus came and opened the gates of heaven, the people who died that were not condemned were in a waiting place that is referred to as prison here. When Jesus died, he went to preach to these souls in prison the good news so that they could accept it and then could be the gates of heaven could be opened to them. He also mentions here that baptism is now what saves us. This is in God's plan. I will elaborate on that later, and we can come back to this passage. I also want to refer to um, the next chapter over, 1 Peter 4, 6. It says, For this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead, so that though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, might live in the spirit as God does. So, and again, the judgment was that they were not fit for heaven, but the gospel was preached to them so that they would have a chance to embrace it. And therefore, through after the resurrection, they could go to heaven. Now, let's look quickly at the gospel of John after the resurrection. In the gospel of John, chapter 20, I'm just going to read verse 17. This is a situation where Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. She thinks he's the gardener. And so they, they're talking to each other. She's like, where have you put him? And Jesus reveals himself to her. And she says, master, you know, rabbi. And she tries to, to hug him, basically. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to my father. He had not yet ascended to the Father because the three days that his body was dead in the tomb, his soul was preaching to the spirits in prison, also known as paradise. So when Jesus died, he went to this place where the souls of the just were waiting for the gates of heaven to be opened. And in a sense, 
this can be understood as a place that the Catholic Church calls purgatory. So what is purgatory? The Church gave this name to this place to help us explain and understand what Scripture reveals, but doesn't give one specific name. Let me give you one other passage that refers to this, and it's referred to as the bosom of Abraham in this passage. So if you look at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 26, you have a situation where Lazarus, a poor man, dies. He was basically a beggar outside of a rich man's door. Both Lazarus and the rich man die. Lazarus goes to a place called the bosom of Abraham. It, the bosom of Abraham is not heaven. It's the bosom of Abraham, which is a representation of the souls of the just. Abraham was righteous by his faith, but he could not go to heaven because heaven was not opened yet. Jesus had not yet opened the gates of heaven. So Abraham and all the souls of the just were in this place. Now, when we say the bosom of Abraham, we basically are referring to a place of communal embrace. Okay, This is a waiting place, a purification place. Because think about it. If you die in a state of not being fully righteous in, your, in the sense of not fully holy, not perfected in God's grace, then you're not ready for heaven. However, these are the people who are not damned to hell. They, they're not eternally going to suffer with Satan and hell. So before Jesus came, there was this place, we're, we're calling it here the bosom of Abraham, and we see in that passage, which you can read, there is a great chasm between the bosom of Abraham and hell that cannot be crossed over. So it, it, is, it is a place where if someone goes there, they are guaranteed to go to heaven, but they still have to be perfected in God's grace, which means there is still sin that needs to be dealt with. And this is the place where the good thief went with Jesus after Jesus died on the cross. So all these souls are there waiting. And for three days, in human terms, three days, Jesus spent three days, well, the, the time that his body lied dead in the tomb, that amount of time, he, he, his soul spent that time preaching to these souls in prison or the bosom of Abraham or paradise, whichever term you want to use. The Catholic Church gave one term to help explain what it is, which the term is purgatory. Okay, and then after the resurrection, then heaven could be opened. However, that doesn't mean that the good thief went to heaven right at the time of the resurrection either. We know that the good thief went to paradise slash prison slash the bosom of Abraham the day of his death, and that Jesus said, you will be with me this day in paradise. But he didn't say how long that time would last. Hey, it could have been that he went to heaven after the time of the resurrection. He could have been there 50 more days. He could have been there 500 more years. We don't know, and we don't need to know. What we do know is that he spent at least the amount of time <clears throat> that Jesus's body was in the tomb until it was possible for him to go to heaven. So let's come back for a second. Those of you who have been incorrectly taught that the good thief went to heaven after his statement on the cross, you have been misled and it, it really originates from the time of the Protestant Reformation. There were two core teachings that were invented 
man-made at that time that all of these types of ideas are based on. And then because people base their whole theology on these man-made incorrect teachings, they get sidetracked by the evil one. Ultimately, who wants to lead us away from the fullness of truth? It is the devil. Okay, the two teachings that this is founded on is that all you need is scripture alone to find all of the truths that God has revealed. And faith alone is all that is necessary to be saved. Now, those are incorrect teachings. The faith alone idea is easily overturned. All you need to do is read the book of James chapter 2, verse 24, where it explicitly states that we are justified by our works and not our faith alone. So his whole idea is overturned by that one passage. And in fact, he wanted to get rid of the book of James from his version of the Bible. Now, Martin Luther was successful in getting rid of seven books, seven full books from the Old Testament and parts of two others by adopting the Jewish version of the Old Testament, which I've said before, and I'll say again, the Jewish version of the Old Testament was not solidified until hundreds of years after the start of Christianity by people who rejected Jesus. So if you place your faith on the Protestant version of the Old Testament, please acknowledge that you are putting your faith and trust into people who rejected Jesus and determined hundreds of years later after the start of Christianity what their, quote, canon of Scripture would be. That is the version Martin Luther adopted. And if that's not enough for you to realize that you don't have all of the books you need, which means you don't have the fullness of truth, then I will say this. Read the book of Esther in the Protestant version, which is also the Jewish version, and then read the Catholic version. And what you will find is the Protestant and Jewish version of Esther makes no mention of God, no mention of prayer. In fact, there is no revelation of God and God's ways in the Protestant slash Jewish version of the book of Esther. The Catholic version, on the other hand, does reveal God's hand in saving his people and his people turning to him in prayer and God answering prayer. So right there, if you are a believer in Jesus, which version do you think, based on human reasoning, you should be following when you're trying to find the revelation of God in Scripture? So let me also address the fullness of truth statement because this person who has been you know, making all these comments and the reason why I'm even making this video right now said, are you saying that if you're not Catholic, you can't be saved and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I am not saying that if you're not Catholic, you can't be saved. Here is what I'm saying. I am revealing or relaying what the Catholic Church teaches and has always taught. The fullness of truth can only be found in the Catholic Church. Let me re repeat that. The fullness of truth, which is the fullness of Jesus, can only be found in the Catholic Church. Now, if you are a non-Catholic Christian, please recognize that you only have the Bible you do today because the Catholic bishops compiled a list of writings— and we first see this really getting solidified in the 4th century A.D. 
That's the first versions of the Bible as we have it now came into existence where they compiled all the writings that were floating around in the Christian church. They dismissed ones that they said, these are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are that is when we saw the development or the you know the solidification of the Bible, like a New Testament as we have it today. So the Catholic bishops gave us that because they have, and I've already talked about authority in previous podcasts. Please go back and listen. The Pope is the one with the keys of authority as depicted in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, in fulfillment of Isaiah 22, verses 20 to 24. And so anyhow, the church having the keys of authority given to them by Jesus can bind on earth and in heaven. The church identified which books were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that is the authority that I place my faith and trust in, the authority that Jesus assigned. Not Jews who rejected Jesus centuries after Christianity started and decided what canon they would follow. I'm placing mine on the keys of authority that is revealed in Scripture. And I encourage you to do the same. I've also mentioned in another previous podcast that it is the church and not the Bible alone that has the fullness of truth. And I gave examples of how we can't even find the fullness of truth in the Bible alone. Here, let me give you another example. I talk about this one in my book, Become a Better Archer and Use It to Avoid Sinning, which I'm holding a copy. If you're looking at the video right now, I'm holding a copy of that right now. I talk about it in there. And so... The Bible says that there is one God. There's not multiple gods. There's one God. However, the Bible also says that God is Father, Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. One, two, three. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. So how is it possible for God to be one if we are naming three distinct entities? One is a father. One is a son. And I hey, guys, I have a son. He's at school right now. He is not me and I am not him. We are separate individual entities. He is a person and I am a person, okay? So there is a father, there is a son, and there is a Holy Spirit. Three distinct entities. How is it possible for there to be one God if we're talking about one, there's a father, we're also talking about Jesus, his son, and we're talking about a Holy Spirit? In fact, the Bible does not explain that or help us understand the truth of that mystery so who do we turn to? We turn to the ones who were given the keys of authority, which is the Pope and his successors, and the College of Bishops in union with the Pope, who have been given the keys of authority. And Jesus even said in John chapter 16, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear to hear it now. That is why I am sending you the Holy Spirit who will guide you to all truth. So when matters like this were brought to the church's attention, after Christianity started, the Catholic bishops met and identified what is the teaching that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. How does it make sense? What does it mean for there to be one God, yet there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I talk, again, I talk about all that in the book here, and I'm going to encourage you to please check out the book. And in fact, let me just insert this right now. I have purchased 20 copies. Actually, I've purchased 30 copies. I already gave away 12. So I have 18 copies available right now that I purchased with my own money. I am willing to, again, use my own money to ship them to people in the United States 
If there is somebody listening who is a non-Catholic or a fallen away Catholic who is willing to be open to hear the truth and is interested in receiving this book, I will on my dime send you a copy. The first 18 people who email me through my Sean'sOutdoorAdventures.com website, I will send you this for free. And again, I only have 18. So the 19th person, I'm sorry, I've got 18. And plus, I'm using my own money. I don't have a job right now, guys. This is... I'm taking care of my kids and I'm filming these podcasts and recording these podcasts. So in a sense, this is my job, what you're listening to, although it doesn't really pay anything. So again, I am going to do that on my dime. Please take me up on it. If you want Jesus and the truth and all of this is confusing to you or really twisting your faith into a knot, like you're really off kilt right now because all the things you were believing in are starting to get uprooted and the lies are starting to get exposed and now you don't know what to do. This is a great resource for that because I really lay it out solidly and succinctly for you and I give other resources that you can read. Okay, where I want to end up with on this episode is the idea of baptism. And I want to state it clearly again. It is Jesus' plan for us to be baptized for salvation. Now, the good thief could not be baptized when he was hanging on the cross because guess what? The church wasn't even started yet. When did the church get started? It was on the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, filled them, and empowered them to go out and preach and make disciples of all nations. So the birth of the church was at the Feast of Pentecost. Immediately after that moment, the apostles went out and preached. Peter preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. It has, so the people who are there, thousands of people are there. They listen and they hear this word the word of Jesus being preached to them by Peter, and this is their response. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to repeat that. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What happens in baptism, which Jesus taught to Peter and the apostles, and the apostles are passing on here, is that our sins are washed away through baptism and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My friends, the washing away of sin is what is necessary for us to be saved, and God chose to do this through the sacrament that we call baptism. Who would not want you to be baptized if this is God's plan and if this is what washes away sin? If sin is not washed away, who still has a hold on you? Is it not Satan? Yes, in fact, it is. My friends who are Christians who have been deceived through this whole distortion of misinterpreting things like the good thief on the cross. Please acknowledge that although you have good intentions, you have been misled, and it's because you have been taught to trust on your own reading of the Bible and not the authority that Jesus Christ established in his church, which is the keys of authority given to Peter to 
basically speak with authority in the absence of Jesus, because Jesus is not present on earth like he was at the time of the apostles. He's not here now because he wants the church to carry on his mission and message. And he gave the keys of authority to that church. And it is that church that has the power to bind on earth and heaven and to give, give us a correct understanding of the scriptures. The devil doesn't want you to be obedient to the authority placed over you. He wants you to follow your own thoughts because he can influence you through them. And in fact, those of you who are sincere Christians trying to follow Jesus, you have been misled if you are following that whole idea that you do not need to be baptized. So the person who I I'm recording this video because even went as far as to say the Gospel of Mark chapter 16 verse 16 was not in the original versions of the Gospels. That's what the person said. And it was essentially saying we should remove that sentence from the Gospels. That sentence says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Let me repeat that. Whoever believes and is baptized. So belief isn't enough. Baptism is the requirement. Why? Because through baptism, God washes away all sin and gives us the Holy Spirit. That is why it is necessary for salvation. It is God's way of washing away our sin and giving us the grace necessary for salvation. What did the, the devil do at the time of the Reformation? He found a way to basically misguide Martin Luther to rejecting books of God's revelation in Scripture. He got him to remove God's word so that those who would follow that version would not have the full message that God has revealed. And what did this person suggest in that comment? The same deception. Let's remove what doesn't fit with what we want to believe. Let's remove the, the fact that we need to be baptized. However, you cannot get around the fact that we need to be baptized because other scripture passages are definitive on the need for baptism. And Jesus says in John 3, 5, unless you're born again of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What happens in baptism as Peter just depicted for us? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins that you will receive the Holy Spirit. That is the exact way that we receive forgiveness or washing away of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as Jesus was referring to in John 3, 5. This is God's plan. If you look at the eunuch in the book of Acts chapter 8, where Philip is brought to the eunuch, we see that the eunuch's reading the scriptures, the prophet Isaiah, and, and Philip says, do you know what that is saying? And he basically says, no, how can I without someone to teach me? He then preaches Jesus Christ to the eunuch. We don't hear a word of what he actually says, though. We just know he preached Jesus to him. And what was the eunuch's response? Look, there is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Philip baptizes him. And since the person was justified through baptism and could be saved, Philip was taken away by the Spirit to his next mission. Folks, baptism, 
is necessary for salvation. And if you don't believe that as a Christian, you've been misled. You've been taken away from the fullness of truth that can only be found in the Catholic Church. And I appeal to you once again to be open to what I'm teaching here, because what I'm handing on is what the apostles have handed on, and the church has carried on from the time of Jesus till now. And I urge you to read all the writings of the early church fathers, the people who were taught by the apostles and passed on those teachings, and the people who were taught by those people, and the people who were taught by those people for the first hundreds and hundreds of years of Christianity. In fact, read the first 1,000 years if you want. And you will see that what they teach is exactly what the Catholic Church continues to teach. And these ideas of Scripture alone and faith alone do not even come into existence until the 16th century. And if you have grabbed a hold of these and, and based your faith on, faith on them, you have not been able to see clearly to the fullness of truth that can only be found in the Catholic Church. Now let me make one more statement on that of clarification. I mentioned in a previous uh, podcast that you, we're basically going to be judged on what we've been what we've been taught, shared, what's been preached to us. So if you've you've heard the fullness of truth and you've rejected it, to some degree you've rejected Jesus. Now I am not the judge, so I am not going to say that you're going to hell if you're not Catholic. I am not the judge. One detail I did not mention previously is that. There are elements that could keep someone from recognizing, embracing the fullness of truth. So if someone has listened to what I've shared, which is the truth, and they have dismissed or discredited or rejected it, but they still believe in Jesus and are doing their best to believe in Jesus, perhaps they will be saved because... We are all broken due to sin, and there may even be some psychological issues that the person might not even be aware of they have, that, or emotional issues that have been preventing them from seeing and, and grasping the fullness of truth that they are being preached. So there's an element of culpability that culpability, which is how responsible you are for a choice, culpability is diminished when there are, ex there are circumstances that are beyond the person's reasonable ability to overcome. So if you are a Christian and you recognize that what I'm saying is the truth, but you choose to reject it, there is cause for concern. I am not the judge, though. Jesus is the judge. He will judge your culpability, how responsible you are for the choice you've made on the truths that you've heard. Now, I want to go back to what I said in the beginning. In the beginning, I said the good thief did not go to heaven when he died. If you were bothered by that and you were turned off to what I had to say, I want you to acknowledge or recognize that your emotions have been built up to oppose the Catholic Church. This is a tool that the devil has used for centuries to keep people from the fullness of truth. The way to come through and around that and to find your way to Jesus is first acknowledge that it's there. Now, let me just ask this question. If, in fact, the Catholic Church has the fullness of truth that Jesus has revealed, and if, in fact, Jesus Christ himself wants you to be Catholic, 
Look within yourself right now. What are the thoughts and feelings that prevent you from being able to accept that? Maybe there's a teaching that you're holding on to that you're opposed to. Or maybe there's a sin in your past that you're, you haven't even acknowledged that prevents you. Maybe to accept that the Catholic Church is right means you would have to also accept that not only were you incorrect, but so were the people who taught you. And what does that mean for them? So there's all kinds, there's a deep dynamic here that could make it difficult for someone to be open to hearing the truth. So I'm appealing to you, please, it's, this is a matter of relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, even if you think you have a great relationship with Jesus, it's important for you to lay aside all of your reservations, let's say with the Catholic Church in this, at this moment, and just say, okay, Lord, I want you. I want the fullness of truth that you have revealed. Help me find that truth. Now, this person is saying I've been misled, and so I need you to give me the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide me to your truth. Now, here's what I'm going to propose again to help you find that. And I'm going to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Folks, this is the starting point of finding your way to the truth, in my opinion, for many people at least. I can't say that it's definitively for everyone, but I would say most people, maybe even 99% of people, here is the starting point. Turn to your Bible in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting at verse 51. Now, I go to much greater detail about this in my book, Become a Better Archer and Use It to Avoid Sinning. So not only will you learn tips to become a better archer, if that's something you're interested in, but it will also help you find the fullness of truth, which is Jesus, the fullness of Jesus. So the fullness of the New Testament, the word testament means covenant, and the fullness of the new covenant is given to us by Jesus in what we call the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. That is the eating of the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. Now I'm going to address one other question I've gotten multiple times here. I'm just going to interject it. People have asked me, you know, what makes communion in the Catholic Church different than, let's say, a Baptist church or a Methodist church or any other church? What makes it different is that the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, which broke away from the Catholic Church around the year 1000, we call it the Great Schism, they have maintained what's called holy orders. So it is a sacrament. The apostles passed on the ability to consecrate the Eucharist and perform the other sacraments. They did this through a sacrament which was originally referred to as the laying on of hands. We now refer to it as holy orders. So when a bishop ordains another bishop or a priest or a deacon, they lay on hands and ordain them with the intention of passing on ordination. And that person receives a gift from the Holy Spirit, which actually involves an indelible mark. Their soul is forever changed and will never be the way it was before. For all eternity, that person will have the seal of ordination on their soul. In heaven, we will be able to see the souls of those who were ordained. Even in hell, they will be able to see the souls of those who were ordained as priests or deacons or bishops. So it requires the grace of ordination from the apostles 
to be able to consecrate, which means turn the bread into the actual body of Jesus. If you do not have valid orders, you cannot consecrate the host. It only remains a piece of bread. When the Protestant Reformation happened, Martin Luther and other priests broke away from the Catholic Church. A priest cannot pass on holy orders. Only a bishop, which is a direct successor to an apostle, can pass on holy orders. That is why the Orthodox Church, although no longer in full communion with the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church having Peter, the keys of authority that Peter was given by Jesus and to every pope who succeeded him, okay, they still have holy orders because bishops broke away from the Catholic Church and the bishop is able to pass on holy orders. So priests and bishops in the Orthodox Church can consecrate the host to become the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus and the wine to become the actual blood of Jesus. In other Christian denominations, even if they believe that it is truly Jesus, they do not have the body of Jesus because they do not have succession from valid holy orders. So, for example, anyone celebrating communion in a Lutheran church only has bread. And in fact, the, many of those Protestant denominations began to change this teaching, which had been held by the Catholic Church for the first 1,500 years leading up to the Reformation. They began to change this teaching to no longer believe in the truth, but to believe it was only a symbolic presence of Jesus. What would be required to believe in this teaching of Jesus? Faith. If you do not have faith, you cannot believe in this teaching. Even if you have faith in Jesus, it still requires a special gift of faith to believe in this teaching. So I'm going to read to you the words of Jesus here in a moment to reveal again this teaching from Jesus' own mouth. Okay, that this is a requirement. And again, that's why we need to be Catholic is because the Catholic Church has the keys of authority, the fullness of truth, valid orders to pass on this gift. And, and before I read this gospel, I want to give you one more thought. I talk about it in the book. Picture two people standing. Picture me. You look at me. If you're looking at the video, look at me. And imagine, if you're a non-Catholic, imagine your friend who's not Catholic standing next to me. Imagine me eating the actual body of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, and the person next to me eating a piece of bread. Now, and I'm going to use something I talk about in the book. Scott Hahn said this that I first, the first time I heard it blew my mind. What happens when we eat food? Think of when you were three years old. You were a, only a small physical person at that time compared to your full growth that you are now. What happened that you grew from that age of three years old to where you're at now? You ate physical food and the physical food became part of your own flesh and blood. Now, that is the reality of our human makeup. Even now, if I eat bad food and don't get any exercise, we're going to see that food becoming part of my own flesh and blood because I'm going to put it on in the form of fat. It's going to stay on my body. But it just is an expression that the food we eat literally 
and physically becomes part of our own flesh and blood. Now, picture two people. One person eats a standard piece of bread. The other eats a piece of the body of the God of the universe. Can you see the unfathomable, infinite, infinite difference between those two people? One person has physical, complete, mind-blowing union with the Son of God, the King of the universe. One person only has a piece of bread in their body. Folks, if this is true, which it is, who would want to keep you from believing this teaching and receiving the body of Jesus into your body? Who? It is the devil, our enemy. And I want to bring everyone back to the fullness of truth. I'm going to read from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting at verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Notice how they didn't take it symbolically. They were disturbed because they could tell Jesus meant it literally. And the word in the Greek that he uses for eat actually means to chomp down on and gnaw on. Jesus basically just said, unless you chomp down on and gnaw on my flesh, you do not have, well, he's about to say that. You do not have life in me. So here's Jesus. Let me just read his response. So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like your ancestors, which, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. My friends, I beg you, and I point you to Jesus here. I beg you to go to Jesus. I'm pointing you to Jesus, not to me. I'm pointing you to Jesus and his explicit words found in the sacred scriptures. John chapter 6, starting at verse 51, and pray. I am begging you to pray. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Savior has to say to you in this sacred word he preached. Okay? Now, if you have a difficulty accepting that Jesus is telling you to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life, look at what his closest disciples said in response as found in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? My friends, if you are having a difficulty accepting it, 
there's only one way to accept it. And that is to, first of all, not rely on yourself because you cannot embrace the fullness of truth of your own efforts. No flesh can come to the fullness of truth on your own efforts. There is only one way, and that is for the Father to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable you to believe. I could not believe in this had it not been given to me by our Father, the gift of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what you need to do if you want Jesus and the fullness of truth is you need to beg for the gift of the Holy Spirit to give you the faith that is required to be able to believe in this teaching. Left to yourself and your own reasoning, you will not find and embrace the fullness of truth. This requires the gift of God. So I am appealing to you and begging you to beg God for the gift of faith. Read this passage slowly a hundred times. Open your heart to the words of Jesus and say, speak to me. Speak to me, my Savior. Give me the Holy Spirit and speak to me. Holy Spirit, give me the gift of faith. I beg you, beg the Holy Spirit for the gift of faith. Read this again, 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 again. Do not end up like those who did not do this. Read what happened to them in the verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 66. That's John 666, which is the number of the devil. Read what happened. It says, because of this, referring to the teaching on the Eucharist, needing to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus, it says, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. My friends, it was over this teaching that the, the disciples of Jesus left Jesus. This is the decisive teaching, my friends. And Jesus even invited the 12 to leave if they did not want to believe in this teaching. This is what it all hinges around. He says, do you also want to go? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, what you are teaching is the teachings that leads to eternal life. We can't go anywhere else. My friends, as I talk about in the book, Jesus made a reference to a literal event that would literally take place after the resurrection, which was the ascension. In verse 61, Jesus asks the disciples, does this teaching offend you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, what if this is a literal event that is going to take place after the resurrection. That is exactly what he's saying here. And all the people reading this were the people who were living in that time period after the resurrection. They were looking at this in hindsight. So the writers and readers in the first century were looking at this, at this saying, okay, that just happened. This is a literal event that just happened. Jesus is referring to a literal event, nothing symbolic here, my friends. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. What is the flesh? It is your human fallen self. That is the flesh. The spirit, as I said, is what is necessary for you to believe. You cannot do this based on your own human flesh. You need 
the Holy Spirit. If you have not asked for the gift of the Holy Spirit regarding this teaching, you cannot come to faith in it. So let me bring this podcast to a close and come full circle. If you started off thinking that the good thief went to heaven when he died that day, you were deceived. I showed you based on scripture, Jesus did not go to heaven. He went to this place called the bosom of Abraham or paradise or prison. And I talk about it in my book. Please read the book because I really explain this clearly and make all the connections that I'm not even including in this podcast. Anyhow, Jesus went to that place, preached to them that they might be saved as well and might one day go to heaven. Maybe it took place the day of the resurrection or soon after. I don't know because the scriptures don't reveal that component to us. We do know it was necessary for Jesus to preach to them before they could be saved. So that's the first part. I, I'm going to address maybe purgatory in more detail in another episode because I'm already at the end of this one. But for now, stay focused on the fact that if you thought the good thief went to heaven the day he died, you were, you were mistaken and you were misled by people who misinterpreted the scriptures. And they only did that because they did not have the keys of authority that only were given to the Pope and his successors. Lastly, the, the fundamental teaching that you must embrace first in order to be able to receive and embrace all of the other truths that you currently have been unable to is this teaching on the Eucharist. For most people, I would say 99% of non-Catholic Christians, the teaching on the Eucharist is going to be the starting point for you to be able to embrace the rest of the truths that you currently have not been able to embrace. So it is necessary to spend your time and your begging in prayer on this passage that I just shared with you, John 6, 51 through 58. Ask for the Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry for all the other questions I've already received and could not address yet, but I felt like this was important and I'm going to con continue to address questions. Please save your comments. It's not productive to comment under this video if you're watching it on YouTube. Just email me your questions and I will try to get to them. Okay? Please pray with John 6, 51 through 58. Please turn to Jesus in prayer. I'm begging you. I am begging you. Turn to Jesus in prayer with his sacred word on this teaching. This is where it really begins. And from here, if you are open to and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, this will be the starting point for you to come home to the fullness of truth that can only be found in the Catholic Church. God bless you.